0: Such a rainy night in Georgia Lord, I believe it's raining all over the world I feel like it's raining all over the world How many times I wondered Comes out the same. No matter how you look at it or think of
1: it, it's life and you just got to play the game.
2: little musings here on this Monday, Monday morning here in North Texas it's a lovely day, a little chilly out. I don't know about you, this weather going back and forth but up and down temperatures in the 40s and then in the 80s and then in the 20s and the 60s, it, it messes me up every time I don't know about you maybe you live someplace where The weather doesn't change from cold to hot to cold to hot to cold to hot this time of year. Some of you probably, it's hot all the time, and some of you probably live in a place where it's cold all the time, (laughs) or it's still winter in March. But uh, a lot of pretty flowers blooming out there. I think it's going to be a great year for... Wildflowers here in Texas. I know I've already got a couple of blue bonnets already blooming. Always happy to see that. Well, we're going to be talking to Jeff Charlotte for in a moment. But until then, let's fill in with a little bit of music. Well i tell you what, let's talk about what's going on. What's going on is the banks. We had a bank that failed and uh, markets crashing. We've seen this before. People don't realize that deregulation can make a mess of things. Uh, I know it's the favorite thing of the Republican Party. Let's deregulate everything. And what happens when you deregulate the rail system, you get what happened in (laughs) Palestine, Ohio. And when you deregulate the banks, you get the failure of Silicon Valley. We had... uh, some regulations in place to keep this from happening again after it happened in 2008. But guess what? As usual, the former guy went and got rid of those regulations and so we got a bank failure again because we let them get too big to fail and the people that get hurt really are you and i and not the millionaires and billionaires they do fine in such circumstances but a little bit harder on those of us trying to get by well what else has happened we had the academy awards and uh i have no idea what happened cuz i didn't watch I don't know. I've gotten bored with award shows. So I don't know about you. Let's have a little bit of music. Oh, guess what? We have our guest here. I'm so excited to see Jeff Charlotte. Jeff Charlotte, tell us a little bit about you and your new book.
3: Uh, hi, Amy. Thanks for 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 having me. And uh, sorry, I'm, I I got here late. Uh... Uh, new books called The Undertow, Scenes from a Slow Civil War. It's drawing on my uh, sort of 20 years of reporting on far-right movements in the United States um, uh, globally as well. But I'm particularly interested in what's in concern as a person about what's happening in our country as I think uh, we drift, or um, not even drift, are tugged by the undertow toward... Uh, a conflict that has already begun, that is simmering now, and then if we do not figure out how to turn back, um, it's going to be coming at us faster and faster. So it, it's based on sort of, drawn from my 20 years, but based on um, uh, a lot of traveling around the country, talking to everyday people. Uh, I'm less interested in the, uh, the power brokers these days, whom I've reported on as well than uh the way their messages are received and translated and interpreted by everyday people who all too often have guns are armed. We are an armed nation
2: mhm yes uh, so many mass shootings now just commonplace we're we're having more mass shootings than we have days in the years,
3: yeah yeah there are more guns out there so the 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 title essay of the undertow uh the, the biggest section of the book um uh it it started on january 6 2021 when i saw um a video of one of the insurrectionists a woman named ashley babbitt a white woman who was killed by a police officer who was black and i mentioned their race because the right did they immediately plugged it into an old old lynching story the birth of the nation the d.w. griffith movie uh, with all these stories about white women as victims of black men right so i wanted to understand how she was being made into a martyr in the right i flew out to sacramento california for an ashley babbitt rally and then i drove slowly back across the united states and i've been crisscrossing the country for decades as a journalist and um uh I, I i'm not automatically alarmed by guns i'm a gun owner myself but not in any substantial way um but i've never seen so many guns and i've never seen such hostility. i mean the thing that really started me is because i do a lot of reporting on religion and particularly the religious right i've been to every kind of church and many times uh I kept encountering these churches that had their own militias, armed churches. Wow. Uh, They're taking the old metaphor of spiritual war, and they're turning it concrete. They're turning it real. They're coming out with guns. And uh, you got that many guns in the mix, sooner or later, someone's going to start shooting them.
2: Let's uh, start off with a little bit of music here. This was... uh, Kind of the start of your book you want to introduce it for us
3: sure so uh the, the undertow is a is a pretty dark book it's uh about a civil war that if we don't turn back is coming or maybe already starting in a slow civil war sense but i wanted to bookend it with some hope um and the way i look for hope is not not uh not cheap grace as they say i don't, I don't look for the like hey we can just band together um, our condition right now is dire So I look for old freedom struggles And the book begins and ends With songs Songs that are mostly forgotten or sanitized And um, begins with Harry Belafonte Long I, sp- I got to spend a lot of time with Harry Belafonte Who everyone knows probably As that great mid-century singer Of Deo, the Banana Boat song And so on They don't realize that he was one of the great radicals Of our times That the civil mm-hmm. rights he was a man who took his entire fortune and bankrolled the civil rights movement. He was one of, he was Martin Luther King's secret right-hand man. Uh, he put his life on the line very literally, as I tell the story in the book, chased by the Klan, almost murdered. Um, and once you know that, you hear Barry, Harry Belfonte songs uh, reduced, smoothed by time into easy listening. They're freedom songs, they're liberation mm-hmm. song.
2: Well, that's pretty much what this show is all about—is rediscovering some of these songs that maybe we've heard and didn't realize that they were protest songs. That's
3: right. That's right.
2: I—I I started this show based on something that happened back in 2003, when the Dixie Chicks were canceled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, I was talking to my boss at the time, who was the very conservative kind of a guy, Fox News watching and everything. And he said to me, well, when I go to a concert, I'm not there for politics. And I thought, hold on, baby boomer. Everything in your playlist is protest music. Know it or not, you're listening to protest music. And there's still stuff going on, and there's stuff... Uh, I've played songs from way back in the 20s, like Billie Holiday. Oh, yeah,
0: Strange. Yes, strange yeah.
2: yeah, so we woven into the American songbook is all of these protest songs, like uh, Pete Singer, This Land Is Your Land. That's a protest song. And you don't really hear it till you hear the last couple of verses that often get left off.
3: Right, right. That's a radical song. I mean, that's the end of the book, actually, is Pete Seeger's songwriting partner, Lee Hayes, uh, of a mostly now forgotten group called the Weavers, top of the charts in the 40s and the 50s, till they were blacklisted. And, you know, when I talk about the hope of the book, it's not, as I say, cheap grace. It's not... um, Uh, Hey, we can do it. We don't know if we can do it because because Pete Lee They didn't do it Harry Mm -hmm. no unbroken still alive in his 90s. He's up Mm -hmm. front He says, you know the civil rights movement. We did not we did not achieve the dream was not realized, right? So what do you do Harry says you play it again? Uh, Mm
0: -hmm.
3: You know you keep you keep singing the songs, you keep listening, you go back just as you're doing. And mm-hmm. and I think you find courage, we've got to move through time to find, mm-hmm. find our heart, you know, uh, find those old songs that inspire us to make new songs.
2: All right, well, here it is, Hello Bar- Harry Belafonte with Day of the Banana Boat Song. Mm-hmm.
1: Daylight come and me wongo. go. come mi me wongo. mi and me say day mi me wongo. Daylight come me Daylight come and me want home. Work all night and drink a rum. Daylight come and come and me and Morning, come, like come and Come, Mister Tallyman, Tally me banana. They like come and one go home. Come, Mister Tallyman, Tally me banana. like come and one one. If six foot seven, foot, eight foot punch,
0: they like come.
1: People bunch a ripe banana
0: Daylight come and we want not go
1: home Hide the deadly black tarantula Daylight come
2: Harry Belafonte With Deo, the Banana Boat song My guest today is Jeff Charlotte We're talking about his new book, what's your book called?
3: called The Undertow Scenes from a Slow Civil War And it starts out The very first section is called Deo on Hope And I would love to tell a story about that song if I could The long first chapter is Voice and Hammer It's about Harry Belafonte I got to spend some time with And that song, you know, Harry Harry uh, grew up in New York, uh, but he got in trouble. He started getting in trouble on his mother's side. He's got to go back to Jamaica um, uh, to to get some sense in him, and she puts him on a banana boat. Um, the banana boats that went back and forth, and uh, he rides a banana boat, and he, he that's a formative experience for him. And he hears the workers, the workers, dock workers singing these songs. These are where these songs come from. And he realizes these are work songs and a work song is free. Daylight coming, and we want to go home, right? This is, I want to get out from under of the boss. Well, the best story about Dale and how to hear Dale, this song that has been smoothed by decades into just American novelty song, how to hear it as a freedom song, is to imagine Harry Belafonte and, uh, he, uh, this is, this is an, uh civil rights movement down in Mississippi, three civil rights workers are horrendously murdered, tortured, killed, Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney. Uh, you ever seen that movie Mississippi Burning? That's about them. They're murdered. And all the other, uh, uh, voter registration folks say, all right, none of us are leaving, but we need more money. So who did they call? The man who bankrolled the civil rights movement, Harry Belfonte They said, we need $50,000 cash fast. Well, uh, a black man cannot wire money to civil rights workers in Mississippi back then. That'd be like signing a death warrant to them. So he's got to go down. And he calls his friend Sidney Poitier, the great actor. And uh, he says, all right, let's go down. He says, you know, the, that Klan, they might they might kill one famous black man, but will they kill two? Let's find out. They fly down, little plane, middle of the night, get off the plane, get in the car, driving with a a, 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 a satchel of cash um and they see cars coming behind them ramming into them smashing into them trying to make them pull over it's the clan oh and they're racing and racing and racing they get to the town where the activists the civil rights workers they come out with their cars headlights against headlights the clan backs down they come in he dumps the cash on the table and they just spontaneously break out into singing that song, Dale, And then he changes the words, because that's what he was always doing, changing the words of the song, making it to the moment. Uh, freedom. Freedom going to come soon. Um, that's what the song always was. He always understood it as a radical song, as a freedom song. And he knew if he could deliver it in a way that made everybody love it. Get that freedom out there. That's the hope at the beginning of the book, which is good because it's a long, dark ride after that.
2: <laughs> well, let's go on to the, the next chapter. Uh, dream on, Aerosmith. Tell me a little bit about that.
3: So the book is break, broken up into three sections. Um, uh, uh, each has got a few, a bunch of stories in it. Um, Dale is on hope. Dream on. On vanity dream on by aerosmith now i felt bad about this because you know i grew up in aerosmith i grew up dream on, <laughs> right um but in uh, 2016 and 2020 and in between and since um i go out and i report on trump rallies and i want to know i don't go with press um uh uh, written for a lot of magazines, a lot of papers and so on, but I'm proud to say I've almost never used a press pass in my life, because I'm not interested in that kind of separation. I want to know what it feels like to be a part of that crowd. So I'd go into the Trump rally, and this was in uh, 2020, and um, Dream On by Aerosmith had become part of his playlist. That's not Aerosmith's fault, by the way. He no. Takes one. His playlist, <laughs> that standard playlist has got um, Elton John who has denounced him, Billy Joel, who has denounced him, uh, the village people, famous <laughs> queer man, not his his kind of thing, Michael Jackson, can't denounce him, but surely would, uh, uh, Lionel Richie and Pavarotti, it's a strange playlist, and Aerosmith, <laughs> and you'd be in these packed stadiums, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 people, and you wait for six hours for Trump to show up. That's his thing, Right that's his mm-hmm. power, but when people like it and the playlist plays over and they dance and dream on would come on and people would spin in circles, you know the song like this power, anthem rock mm-hmm. I thought that was a good metaphor for understanding the moment we're in, because I think that what Trump has got us doing is nightmaring with him um, fascism is a dream not a good dream, but it's a dream politics um, it's People say, "Well, that's not uh, true, or that's not rational." To which fascism says, "Yes, yes. What what fascism offers is something that's not true, not rational, um, something that liberates you to every kind of feeling you have, and especially the ugly ones." Right. Mm-hmm. So, so "Dream On" is the the second section of the book, and and I look at some of the. The the, the undercurrents that brought us to Trump, the the men's rights movement and the prosperity gospel and certain changes and the Christian right. And then I bring us into the Trump scene, the age of Trump, which we are in now. And I -hmm. I feel like how are we possibly now in 2023 making the same mistake we made in 2016 and 2015, for that matter, in 2020 and saying, well, he's all washed up. Maybe he might be. (laughs) But the trump scene is going to keep going just like the age of reagan did unfortunately mm-hmm. long after reagan um he's opened the door he's opened the door and whether it's him who walks in walks through in 2024 or ron DeSantis, or some other figure that we can't yet imagine you know that that line has been crossed um and that's what i wanted to explore in that middle section um the trump years uh, the yeah. final section takes us beyond that but um the middle section is like what was that not from the kind of blow by blow of the politics but what did it feel like to those people who believed it and why did they believe it and how did they believe it and um what does that tell us about the future to come
2: all right well let's hear from aerosmith Uh, dream on Mary Bell Montes Sue. I'm gonna put this in the chat. That was Aerosmith with Dream On. If you're just tuning in, this is Political Musings. I'm Amy Manuel, and my guest today is Jeff Charlotte. We're talking about his new book. But for just a moment, I want to go back to one of your older books, The Family. And you were talking about January 6th. Was there any, was The Family any part of that?
3: It was a big crisis for them, actually. And there's a terrific reporter named Jonathan Larson, um, L A R S E N, uh, who works with uh, the the Young Turks Network, um, essentially, uh, but his own investigative reporter, who's been doing terrific work picking up where I left off. I did two books and a Netflix documentary series called The Family. And so I felt like I had done my bit on that. Um, And The Family is the oldest and most influential. Christian conservative organization, Christian right organization, Washington, dating all the way back to 1935 uh, when they thought uh, much like the rhetoric we hear now from Ron DeSantis, that socialism was the work of the devil. Um, And they thought FDR was socialist and so not a group of church leaders but a group of business leaders, big businessmen got together to break unions and turn the United States into a kind of a free market fundamentalist kingdom of God. Um, And in many ways, successful. If you, you know, even now we don't have very great healthcare in the United States. Obamacare was an improvement. Why? I'm alone amongst developed nations. You got to look back to those business leaders of the 30s and 40s and 50s who understood it as a mission from God uh, to prevent that. Um, so I wrote about that. And they're a very upper class group. They're an elite group. They believe that Christianity got it wrong for two thousand years by focusing on those whom they called the down and out they said no 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 that's a mistake god sent us to minister to serve those whom they called the up and out that's their language the up and out the key men in business government military that god doesn't care about your soul or mine amy Uh, god cares about powerful men and i do mean men mostly Um, uh, and if you can win them for god why they will create the godly kingdom. And everyone else will just have to obey. And here we are, here we are post row, and it um, doesn't matter whether you believe in reproductive rights or not. If you're in Tennessee or Texas or or, or, or Wisconsin even, it uh, doesn't matter, you just gonna have to obey, right? That's the vision. So I had been spending years reporting on that group and this part of the American right that I think a lot of people have missed and it's part of how they built strength. People always thought, Oh, uh, we on the left and the liberals were the sophisticated ones. Right. And, uh, the right wingers are just a bunch of goons and dummies. Well, no, they they've got an elite too. Um, and they were building. And, uh, so I'd spent so long on that elite, this book, the undertow seems from the Civil War is sort of now sort of taking up the other strand of the, a different strand of the DNA, which is how that has now carried out into the public. It's become mainstream. The ideas that the family had, which is one idea that the family had, this is really key, and this explains Donald Trump, right down to his early evangelical backers, were members of the family citing this. They said, God doesn't need a pious or moral or even good man. God can work through anybody. And they give the example of King David in the Bible, who, um, you know, nice work. (laughs) I King David, but after that, it's kind of downhill. The Psalms, very pretty. um, But King David was a schmuck. Um, King David, (laughs) you know, he stole his, his most loyal commander's wife and either seduced her or raped her, depending on your interpretation, and then arranged for his loyal commander to be killed. Bad guy. and Yet God loves him. And that's how they understand Trump. They know what Trump is. They know Mm -hmm. what Trump is, but he's God's tool. Um, And I think I was prepared to write The Undertow. I don't think I could have done it if I hadn't written The Family, if I hadn't seen, like, those currents moving through uh, U.S. life.
2: Uh, I remember we talked about the prayer book, Breakfast.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So the family is, they're a fairly secretive group. They call themselves the Christian Mafia. They hold Bible studies for congressmen, business leaders, military leaders, in the United States and abroad. And they have one public event called the National Prayer Breakfast um, held in Washington. And every president since Eisenhower has attended. Eisenhower didn't want to go. He said, that's a violation of the First Amendment. That's separation of church and state. But Billy Graham who was working with the family at that time, came to him and said, look, um, you're a Republican. I organized uh, a lot of voters for you in the South. I made the South competitive. Um, back then, this is the old segregationist, Democratic. You know, this is the Dixiecrats. Um, and Billy Graham got those voters, He says, so you owe me. And Eisenhower says, I'll go. I hope this doesn't become a tradition. I hope nobody <laughs> knows this. It goes, does it ever become a tradition? Uh, every president since has gone. Almost all of Congress, world leaders. It's a off-the-books lobbying festival. Lobbyists sell tickets to it for thousands of dollars. That's the one public event. Now I can say some happy news. With just this year, uh we had the documentary. We had the book back in 2010, and then we had. Um, uh the documentary series on netflix in 2019 and then jonathan larson and some other reporters local reporters international reporters have been digging into this very profound corruption of the first amendment and slowly some democrats have been peeling off democrats who you know that was the whole idea of the national prayer breakfast who's going to come out and say they're against prayer that's not a way to get elected in america so they went <laughs> Um, but last year, Senator Tim Kaine, devout man, said, it's not cool. Stop going. Uh, Representative Ted Lieu, stop going. And then the big deal was last year, Nancy Pelosi did not attend. And that gave license to a lot of other people. This year, the family announced that they no longer run the National Prayer Breakfast. They're splitting it off. It's a bit of a sham, right? They're still going to control it. But It's not going to be the open lobbying festival. So much so that a lot of the international delegations coming to try and, like, make deals over guns and oil and so on with the United States were saying, this is a ripoff. You know, we sent this delegation. We paid you guys. We want access. We want access to politicians. They're not getting it anymore. So there's, you know, the book begins and ends with a little bit of hope. And there's the idea is that you stay in the long struggle maybe every now and then. You get a little victory, and you remember that, and you play that song again and keep going.
2: Well, you said something about it being, a January 6th, being a challenge.
3: Yeah. Well, so it was, I mean, that's part of what happened, is that there were, when, when, when Trump got elected, I said, on the one hand, this organization, the family that has been supporting foreign dictators for so long, that's, he's their guy. He's just the kind of guy that they've been supporting in other countries. On the other hand, they had never really brought that home to the United States. They've been establishment. Uh, They had a slogan. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, We work with power where we can, build new power where we can, right? In the United States, they could. Um, They were into what is, as one of them said, right? Um, Trump was something different. And there was a lot of dismay. Ultimately, the family came down and we saw Trump at the National Prayer Breakfast and turn it into his political events. We saw him use it and the fascist right. Uh, remember the spy? Some people may remember the spy, the Russian spy Maria Butina. Uh, mm-hmm. a beautiful, red-headed Russian woman who came and seduced leaders of the Evangelical Right and the National Rifle Association um, and did so entirely through the family. I mean, that was they opened all the doors. They had a Moscow prayer breakfast. They were deep in with Russia. And, um, but January 6th came and that was too much for some of them. And some of them broke away. Uh, and some of them, yeah, very super conservative. I mean, you know, that's, to me, is a sort of the fascinating moment of this slow civil war, which mm-hmm. sadly is a, which side are you on kind of moment? And there's another old song for us, right? Uh, which side are you on? Um, uh, it's not, it's not always quite as predictable, right? There's some deep, deep conservatives who will not cross that line. And some from the family broke with the family because the family was still going toward that. Some within the family tried to bend it a different direction. And this is actually, I would say, for all those people looking for hope, right? We look at the right right now. You got to remember, it's not monolithic. It's not mm-hmm. just one big blob. Uh, it's made up part of why it's strong now is because it's got a little group here and a little group there and they're all coming together. we got to look for those fault lines. we got to look where they can't get along. Uh, we got to exacerbate the fault lines. we got to help them crack up. Um, that's a big part of how we resist. Instead of treating them, believing in them as people say, oh, Fox News and the churches and it's all just one big Thing, thank God, it's not. It's a bunch of people working together. Right wing social movement. They got social movements too, and that means, like most social movements, it can disintegrate.
2: Let's hear the next song on your list here. This is from the Weavers. Good night, Irene. <laughs>
0: our party I'm gonna take another stroll gambling,
1: stop staying out late at night, go home to your wife and family, stay there by your fireside bright.
2: That was The Weavers with Good Night, I Read. My guest today, Jeff Charlotte, is talking about his new book, The Undertow. We're on to the survival part. Let's talk a little bit about survival.
3: Well, (laughs) it's a rough survival. And that song that's sort of uh, wrapped in the syrup of an orchestra that Deca, the record label, imposed on The Weavers, that wasn't exactly their style, um, that was the number one hit in 1950. Um, and that section of the book deals mostly with the post-Tr- post-Trump period, driving back and forth across the country, following the insurrection trail, talking to the fascists, going to the churches with the militias, the guns, people getting ready. The only answer to the question of do you think there'll be a civil war is uh, uh, is, is how soon people say they say yes and they're happy or yes and they're like well it's sad but it's got to come it's just an astonishing moment outside the little blue bubbles so many of us live in but the final piece the way I wanted to end the book I wanted to go back in time is is with that song and Lee Hayes Lee Hayes is a towering guy from Arkansas big guy part of the Weavers um, uh, closeted gay man um, uh, brave for a while and then not 1940, that's the number one hit in 1950 1949, the Weavers tried to debut if I had a hammer uh, at a a concert, uh, an outdoor concert in Peekskill, New York. First one gets shut down by the local forces because they got Paul Robeson, the great singer.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Uh, Russia loving baritone Negro, as the local paper called him. Mm -hmm. Second one, they brought up 3,000 union men from New York to provide security. And even so it was a battle and they got out with their lives. Thousands, state troopers, New York state troopers using helicopters to attack the folk singers. Uh, Lee hiding on the floor uh, as rocks smashed every window in the car he was coming out and Lee Hayes, Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie barely escaped with their lives, burning crosses torches and so on. If I could read just a little passage from the moment. So after sure. that, he sings that song. Uh, uh, um, he said, uh, uh, this is at the day after Peekskill, the day after the riot. And they put up a sign uh, on Main Street that says, wake up, America, Peekskill did. If this is America, Lee thought, it's not mine. Sometimes I live in the country, went the number he sang after Peekskill. Good night, Irene. A subtler, sadder song. Sometimes I live in town. Sometimes I take a great notion to jump in the river and drown. Pete's banjo plucks the rhythm. Ronnie Gilbert's alto slips into the water. Lee's big bass aches the lullaby. That's all it was to the hit parade. But to Lee especially, Goodnight Irene was a secret language. A great notion. All that could be said of a nation that responded to folk songs with burning crosses the Drowning, as much of an allusion to Lead Belly, Huddy, Lead Belly, Leadbetter, great folk singer, who gave them the song. Lead Belly's darker words, an addict's lament, a love gone cold. That's what "Goodnight Irene is. It's about addiction, as Decca Records would allow. For those who could hear, though, the simple song was thick with broken-hearted meanings, an elegy for wrong choices and defeats, a hope. For the sweet revolutionary by and by. So that's what Goodnight Irene is. And that's the survival. The survival is not, it's all going to work out. The survival is, we're going to get hit hard. And we're not done yet. And uh, I don't care who wins the presidency in 2024. We've got a very rough road ahead of us. And we've got to go to those old songs. Remember, they didn't win. Lee Hayes fought hard in the 1950s. Harry fought hard in the 1960s and is still fighting hard today. The struggle is ongoing. And uh, the one thing I think a lot of liberals and lefties don't understand is that many on the right understand that too. Mm-hmm. And they're long haul. The defeat of Roe v. Wade began 50 years ago when it was, was passed, right? They, they organized 50 years we sometimes think we win, and we're like, "Oh, we're good now. We don't have to worry now." It happens every time a Democrat is elected. Some journalists will ask me, "I'm doing giving an interview about a book. Why would you write about the right now when you know <laughs> they're, they're they're gone, they're done?" Over and over. Uh,
2: I you know, I I have lived my entire life in Texas, and the Texas I grew up in was much more liberal. In the yeah. Texas I live in now. And I've.
3: the, the in Texas.
2: That's right. <laughs> uh, the Republicans being pro choice was a standard thing when I was a kid. That was just normal. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the last, oh, 25 years in particular, 23 for certain. Here in Texas, I go to Austin with Planned Parenthood every two years because there's, you know, something that they're trying to push to limit reproductive rights. Now they've gotten rid of them altogether, but it's been a very slow bit by bit loss. And the same goes with, um, LGBTQ rights, this, very in vogue right now is attacking trans kids and drag queens. I don't know why they're so scared of drag queens and drag queen story hour. Uh,
3: I think, you know, I mean, that's the, uh, the penultimate chapter of this book is called The Great Acceleration. And the great acceleration is a concept that uh, actually began on the left um, and the right has taken up. And the idea is like, let's speed it up. Let's, let's get to the fighting. Um, let's speed up, go faster and faster. Um, and uh, I was in Wisconsin um, and ostensibly it's about wisconsin and the days after roe fell when wisconsin reverted to an 1849 law that forbade abortion uh um, with no exceptions not for rape or incest um and became in fact uh, at that time the only blue state that uh, which this reproductive freedom is gone completely and so i was just traveling around i was in wisconsin and 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 i'm comfortable sharing this much um, uh, a child of mine was, was getting healthcare there, two kids, and my eldest was getting healthcare. And uh, my eldest is a, a, a queer, non-binary kid, uh, uh, identifies as trans, and so on. And we had driven out to Wisconsin, right? I was, we thought we'd make a road trip of it. And, um, you know, just like mile markers ticking off where these these flags, not just Trump flags, nastier flags mm-hmm. uh, let's go brandon flags which means fuck joe biden and then flags that just said fuck joe biden mm-hmm. uh, uh the Gadsden flag the don't tread on me flag which has wasn't always a fascist flag but it's become one flags with skulls and then scariest of all is if you've seen this the american flag but it's all just blackness and what that means is the flag of no quarter, no mercy, no surrender. The one who flies that believes civil war is coming, and they believe that the appropriate stance to take is take no prisoners. Mm-hmm. On the other side should be killed. It's a genocidal flag. So, you know, here's my, my, my young, my, my queer trans teenager driving across the country and, you know, working on their mental health, working on being healthy.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: How do we tell our kids today? especially those who are suffering, especially our queer children, our trans children, oh, don't be paranoid when, when half the country is trying to outlaw their existence. Mm-hmm. The fight moves. It's important to remember, right? Right now, trans kids and trans people are on the front lines, every one of their life. And anyone is out there saying, well, I think this question is complicated. Okay, you ask it later. <laughs> when, as i say this is a which side are you on moment every single weekend in the united states there are armed fights going on right now people try and get together a drag queen show and you will get men with ar-15s outside just in ohio we saw a scary one this past weekend it's happening. the civil war is happening now in slow simmering events right um uh my kids school is being sued in Texas, I don't even know. You know, New Hampshire though, New Hampshire, schools are going through and stripping down any kind of rainbow sticker. Sometimes a pride sticker, sometimes just a rainbow in an elementary school for kids. West, the state legislature come and, and press charges or something against a teacher. That's a slow mm-hmm. civil war, right? Trans kids are the front line. The front line will move, right? There's times when immigrants are the front line. There's times when Muslims are the front line. Uh, increasingly uh, Jews are the front line and the mm-hmm. right covering after a long a long vacation from explicit anti-Semitism now I subscribe to all the ugly things you wouldn't want to read. I get Trump's emails every day mm-hmm. um, now almost every day Soros George Soros, which is mm-hmm. long fairly not even subtle code for the Jews
0: mm-hmm
3: uh, you're starting to hear right-wing figures say, you know, actually, this whole uh, Judeo-Christian idea, I don't like it. Just Christian, right? Um,
2: well, I, personally, I'd rather they are not they not include us, because yeah. when they say Judeo-Christian, oh, okay. they you're, you're, really you're, only
3: mean Christian. You're, you're M.O.T. as well. Okay, all right. We're, we're together. <laughs> yeah, no, they always that the, the origins of Judeo-Christian is not sweet but like now they're taking this thing and going even further so i think there's a and, and of course always 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 central to everything anti-blackness mm-hmm. um, which is you know this is why so much of my book is about white supremacy and white supremacy as it is carried out in many ways by people who don't think that they're doing it mm-hmm. uh, uh whiteness is this disease i mean and it's in me it's in you it's not just in us as white people it's in everyone who was here it's why you can go to a fascist rally, uh, as one I report on in the book for Ashley Babbitt, I, probably close to half the people there were were Latino, um, mm-hmm. Latinx, and some were black. Um, and speaking the language of white supremacy. Because what, that whiteness they're talking about isn't real. So mm-hmm. it's an imaginary construct like fascism. It can infect mm-hmm. uh, Everybody, and it's coming to hurt everybody, whether you're white or not. If you think they're white, like, well, it's terrible, but at least I'm not vulnerable. Uh uh-uh. uh. If you think it's terrible what they're doing to the trans kids, they're coming for you. How many times do we have to learn that lesson?
2: This is so true. I, I don't understand. I have two sisters, my whole family, we're 100% European Jew. I got the DNA done. <laughs> In uh, Ancestry, they will do a circle for you on one side is your father's family, the other side is your mother's, and it's color-coded. Mine's just one green circle. <laughs> <laughs> no Venn diagram, just one. <laughs> that's,
3: that's it. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of Ashkenazic Jews, are, like, they, I think we are, uh, I'm half, right? So I'm half Ashkenazic Jew, and that's 100% half, and the other half of is a whole mix of things, but yeah, Ashkenazic Jews. Well, because, because we're talking about the old history, right? Like, sure. Mm-hmm. It was not intermarriage. In as much as any other DNA gets in there, it's mm-hmm. mostly through sexual assault. Because there's various times in various European nations long before Nazi Germany when raping a Jewish person was not a crime.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You get away with that. And, and so that's where that DNA comes from. But marrying a Jewish person, that you could rape a person. But you couldn't marry them. Mm.
2: You know, I hate to say it, we are out of time already.
3: Oh, we can't end on that horrible line. Let's just say something cool. <laughs> I,
2: So we have one more song on here, and tell me a little bit about Darling Corey.
3: Darling Corey. Uh, so that is, um, so the Weavers, that song we heard, Good Night Irene, right? They were the radical singing group. Uh, uh, and top of the charts, I mean, a real radical group. Now, not... Hollywood radical, they were hardcore organizers. And, of course, they got blacklisted. And, in fact, uh, the FBI sent in undercover agents uh, to, to rat on them. And they were completely, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't book a bar in Peoria. Um, so, 1955, um, manager uses a, a lot of subterfuge and fake names and so on. And I don't know how they did it. Actually, this is, I mean, but they managed to book a concert in Carnegie Hall and get the word out for those who are in the know. And remember, this had been the most popular group in America five years before. Um, they didn't exist anymore. They'd been erased down the memory hole, and they came out there, and they sang this song called Darling Corey, and it's an old moonshine song. It's a, it's a, 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 a strong woman with a pistol on her hip, and it is a battle song, and it is... I write in the book, and if you'll forgive me the language, these people are grieving, they're mourning, but they're still fighting. It is their great fuck you to all the forces that try to knock them down. And you'll hear their voices, and uh, not as much of the syrup as Goodnight Irene. You will hear the power and the force and the dream.
2: Well, thank you so much for being a guest today, Jeff. I, I could talk to you for hours. But we are out of time, so I remind everyone, as I do every week, get registered, get informed, get politically active, and go vote. And if you don't have anything nice to say, come sit next to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, To end our show, here's the Weavers with Darling Corey. (laughs)
0: Is coming gonna tear your still house down Well the first time I see darling Cory She was standing by the sea Had a morning flies strapped around her bosom She had a bag